0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. And today we have in the studio Mr. Donald Fagan, which uh, I have to say is an honor. Thank you for being here, Donald.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So... You know, I would start by talking about a song, not from your very extensive catalog, but actually a song by the Eels, "Dead of Winter." Mm-hmm. That's a song that you and I guess your wife posted on Facebook. We posted lyrics in honor of, of Walter Becker, who who we uh, lost very recently. What was it about that song? I was—it's a beautiful set of lyrics, beautiful song. I was struck by that post.
0: Well, my wife's a huge fan of of the Eels, and. Uh, we, there was something just, I think, somber and appropriate about it.
1: Let's hear that for just a moment.
0: Standing in the dark outside the house, breathing in the cold and sterile air. Well, that was the thin-
1: So, obviously, it's been a lot. How has the the weather in your head been this year dealing with this?
0: Uh, Well, at first, it was a little stormy uh, when my partner passed on um, in uh, September. But, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't totally uh, unexpected, I have to say. He was ill for quite a while. And um, I kind of knew a month or two before that, that it didn't look good for him and um life goes on yeah you're really starting to show off with a bang here
1: yeah no it's it's just certainly a, no, a I yeah I'm, yeah i'm just kidding you. yeah yeah i wish it was a different year yeah. as we all do on every level i would imagine
0: yeah that's for sure
1: yeah to sidestep that for mm-hmm. one second what maybe maybe we should go to a song that you actually came out with this year with todd rungren yes um mm-hmm. called tinfoil hat right and it's not much of a mystery what this song is about. It, no. It's 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 pretty direct. It's a song about Donald Trump. So I, I guess obviously you're sharing many people's feelings about the the other horrors of this year.
0: Yeah, you know we've. I was uh, taking a vacation in uh, on the Hawaiian island of Kauai where <clears throat> Todd Rungren has a house and uh, and uh, we're pals and we were sitting around and uh, I think it was just. Just after the election, I think. And, uh, yeah, we, we we felt we had to, you know, had to vent. So we wrote this uh, tune, yeah. This I was is- going to call out the, the Pope of Douche Town. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, uh, we figured uh, Tinfoil Hat was just as good.
1: Let's hear that for a moment.
0: He's coming down the escalator <laughs> With a girl from East of here he <laughs> wants to make the country greater
1: So here is reality imitating the the more grotesque imaginings that you might have had over the years. I have to say mm. it's 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 uh you literally can't make up our new reality it feels like. No,
0: actually it, it's it's kind of makes it difficult to uh to write uh, after doing any kind of sat- satire or political satire because it's it really outstrips any kind of fiction you might, you know, want to create you've also
1: been playing with a young band the night flyers and you know it's funny you've been uh, you've been tough on not only the younger generation but the generation born post 1960 but you know these guys are 20s 30s they're young what's mm-hmm. what surprised you about the generational interchange there
0: well you know these guys are from upstate around Woodstock, new york in that area and um they're unusual kids i think they're uh they're you know into older kinds of music, Connor Kennedy is a really great uh, sort of a prodigy guitar player and uh you know we've been hanging out the last couple of years and so uh I wanted to do some uh of my own material and uh since you know I knew these guys and I had seen them play uh Seem like a good idea to take these guys out. And they're, they're just fantastic, you know. I don't think they're the average millennial bears.
1: I think at least one of them might have said that there's been talk of maybe recording with them. Has that been something in your head?
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I've been sending Connor some uh, tunes that I've been working on. And, uh yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that.
1: And now the, the idea is clearly, as you said in, in your statement, to, to continue on with, quote, the Steely Dan band. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a legal entanglement that you're in that that I I presume, like with many legal entanglements, can't be spoken of too much, but do you imagine that's going to be any impediment? Do
0: you see any any problem proceeding? Um, No, not really. I mean, it's one of these things where, uh, you know, years ago, uh, really decades ago, uh, when we started uh, the band, um, Walter and I had a contract, and uh, it was a really simple thing that a lot of bands have. It's it's just as if someone is... uh, resigns, or is fired, or or dies, um, they sell their stock, their rock and roll stock, I guess, <laughs> back to the company. <laughs> so we signed this thing, and the idea was that, uh, and and um, it ended up to be just Walter and I were the remaining uh, partners, and, um, you know, uh, 50-50 partners. And um, the idea was that, you know, if somebody dies, that, you know, the other guy would essentially run the band, and Take control of the band and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we're just um, trying to defend the uh, that contract. The, or- the original contract, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, Steely Dan, except you know, perhaps at the very beginning, was not so much a band as a sort of entity. Its very nature was always fascinating to me that that it was you know it was you and Walter and after the first couple albums and you know whoever you felt could play the songs best
0: yeah it started as a band of um, course yeah but um after uh, you know a couple tours on the road uh, uh, walter and i weren't really having that much fun on the road in those days the conditions were harsh and we were opening for a lot of heavy metal groups and so on it was it wasn't ideal so um we decided to just record and uh, of course the other guys wanted to go out and play so uh uh you know basically we dissolved that particular band and then started uh working with studio musicians because because we started as staff writers out in la for uh, abc dunhill records they had their own studio like built into this um building this this the abc building so we would get to see all these great studio players come in and and do tracks you know starting nine o'clock in the morning for uh you know, um uh, they do jingles, they do T V themes, but the musicians were amazing, you know. Jim Gordon was often playing the drums and and uh Michael O'Mardian was playing the piano and so on. So mm-hmm. we uh we got to know these guys and uh we said, Hey, let's bring these guys in
1: to play. I mean, the funny thing is in my estimation that original band was Although you have many unhappy memories of, of touring in the live shows, there's some documentation of that original band smoking live that
0: record plant bootleg
1: is is fantastic. There's- yeah we
0: got pretty good uh, towards the end of it actually. you know they were all good players and uh, I think it got it, it took a uh, leap when Mike McDonald joined the band as a you know a second singer and keyboard and uh, it was great to, to be playing with him.
1: Just as a quick side note while we're in this era, there's the um, famous-slash-infamous spoken intro to the live version of Boda Seifa, Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which is, uh, I think is one of the funniest things that's ever been put on record. Maybe we can hear that.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we're glad you made it here tonight because you're going to miss out. Uh, you can tell your friend tomorrow that they gonna miss out on all damn good thing we gonna give you tonight. And one thing I can tell you, brother, he is here tonight. Mr. Magnificent one is here. The beautiful one's here. <laughs> <laughs> and you little old pretty one is here too. You know. Whatever. Here is the magnificent one. No one ain't the only one. Mr. Stilly Dan whatever. That was your bus driver? Is that? Is the, uh, no, actually, he was one of the truckers. Okay, uh, he drove the uh, one of the semis, the, you know, full of equipment. And his name was Jerome Anatone. I don't know what's become of him. <laughs> but um, one night he asked if you know he could he could introduce us, and and he he was pretty. Uh, Happy by about uh, showtime every night. And uh, so, uh, you know, he would announce the show every night, and that one happened to be recorded. He didn't really know
1: the name of the band, or who was who. He thought your name was Steely Don or something? Was that... Uh, yeah. Well, yeah,
0: or Stevie Dan. <laughs> Stevie, right. Yeah, he wasn't exactly sure who he was working for. There's a story about him. Once he... he uh, yeah, he was, he was you know, I guess an alcoholic, essentially. And he would... he uh, You know, they have these big loading... Uh, docks when you go into a venue with the uh, door that opens vertically, the sort of corrugated doors, you know, and and uh, he once just uh, he didn't wait for the door to open completely and just ran the truck in and it sheared the top of the truck <laughs> off.
1: That's fine work there. <laughs> his uh, his MC skills though were he were, was I, excellent. I'm tired, yeah,
0: excellent. He could have been a DJ. Before there were DJs.
1: So the other thing that you said over the years was you guys figured out if you didn't have a band, no one could make you tour. Is that a joke or was that part of the, the literal um, thinking there? Um well maybe
0: unconsciously.
1: Do you remember sitting down with Walter and actually having that discussion of it doesn't have to be a band anymore, it could just be us and we can do you know what I mean? Was it a conscious sit down kind of decision?
0: the way i remember it was we were in london i remember and we did a couple of shows at the rainbow and uh they went well but then i i got i got sick like my uh i had some kind of uh, uh really bad laryngitis so uh we all we all came home from that and then we did a few more gigs on the west coast and you know both of us were really worn out from the you know sort of style of touring we were doing in those days and we both said you know what I'm gonna die if we can keep doing this <laughs> and uh let's let's you know after the next record let's just try to talk the president of the company this guy jay lasker a big cigar smoking uh, entrepreneur um if we could just you know record records and and he was fine with it as long as they sold and and in fact you know after we stopped touring the the sales of course rose great they were they were inflated so uh you know maybe it was better that we didn't tour
1: one of the things that also afforded you, of course, was an ability to achieve ever greater levels of sort of um, technical achievement and perfection, both sonic and, and musical. Walter, probably post Everything Must Go, or maybe even a, a little earlier, he had gotten a little sick, he said, of perfectionism and chasing that thing, which was fascinating to me, because that's sort of part of the very essence of what people think of as Steely Dan. And I'm not sure you ever got sick of
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I think we were both getting a little uh, tired of, of the uh, difficulty of making those, those kinds of records although i don't think we were ever truly like perfectionists, we know i don't think we thought of ourselves as we just wanted the, the record to sound professional like big band jazz records you know like right clean you know good clean playing and but uh, i think maybe it's true we did go overboard and by the last record in the 70s called gaucho we may have uh you know just went past it a little bit i think that's what i love about that record but yeah I, I mean, yeah i like it too i like it too it's but it's uh you know maybe maybe uh uh, there were some live, live playing on that record, certainly, but uh, there could have been more, I think. Not to sound like when in your
1: Neil Morricone interview when you're presenting him with theories and he just grunts, but there's a certain unity, perhaps unintentional, between the themes of that record and the arguably overlabored music. It actually mm-hmm. works, and it works very well together.
0: Yeah, but, no, I think it, it turned out to be a thing. That's for sure, yeah.
1: There's so many great stories about the lengths that you guys went to. I mean, one, of course, is Wendell, which mm-hmm. was a drum machine so primitive. There's a story that someone had to type into the machine for five to 20 minutes to get maybe one bar or something like well, that.
0: Well, yeah, this was in the early days of uh, digital uh, recording and digital sampling and all that. And uh, we were having trouble getting a track and I uh, forget which one. Hey it, 19, actually. 19, maybe, yeah. And uh, so our engineer Roger Nichols, who was a brilliant uh, guy, and um, had been working with computers for for years before anybody else was, and he, uh, I remember we said, you know, that Roger Lynn drum machine, you know, it's it's not good enough. It's too bad. It's it's it wasn't uh, full frequency recording. It was like a, you know low sample rate, and also uh, you know you couldn't really man- manipulate the beats that much. So said so which we had a machine that could you know it was just as uh, full frequency as the digital machine we're using, and and Roger said, uh, yeah, I can I can make that I can I think I can build one of those. <laughs> he says all I need is about two hundred thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> so we
0: just we had about two hundred thousand dollars left in our budget, like that was like half the budget or something. And we just gave him the money, and then uh, we uh, knocked off for three weeks. And then he came in with this machine, you know. Um, but it was, as you say, it was uh, primitive compared to what they have now. It was. Uh, he had to type in the uh, bytes themselves, you know, <laughs> a list of, of bytes um, to get a sound out of it. And like I remember, he said, "I this this uh, symbol or whatever lasts too long for the memory." There's not a. He says, "I got to wait till." till September. So we said, well, what's happening? He says, well, that's when Intel is coming out with a better chip. And so finally, uh, you know, after a while we, we could finally, uh, record, you know, long things. But, uh, it was very uh, laborious and boring and stupid.
1: Well, I mean, what, what always... Amazed but it worked. Me. Yes. It did work. And it sounds great, but at yeah, but, but
0: the same time you had access to literally any drummer in the world. That's true. We And although we always, um, you know, we were sort of scrupulous about it, we'd always try to do the tr- a track first live. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we'd get it. And if we didn't, we'd take a sample from the track we just recorded and credit the drummer who who played it
1: I mean at the same time something like the title track of Asia I mean that's Steve Gadd I think on the on the first take yeah was, or second maybe. yeah we
0: did two takes I think we edited first and second take together yeah
1: so when appropriate you were very happy to use something yeah you important. know it's whatever works
0: yeah, you know, was our philosophy.
1: He goes around to drum clinics, still showing people how to play that that uh, those fills, that solo. You know, it's a, that. Song. Yeah,
0: you know, we just set him loose. There was a we had a, a long chart. It was like eight pages or something. That, uh, I had come up with with uh, Larry Carlton helped me to to uh, put it together, and uh, it was taped onto his stand. And he just uh, there was a part where it just said drum solo. <laughs> and he just he, he did, and that's what he, he obliged.
1: Did. He he, he mm-hmm. provided the drum so yeah.
0: and we'll hear that for just a moment.
1: One of the things that you know people struggle to understand for years and uh maybe can never understand having not been inside the partnership is is just sort of who did what how it worked it's a question you could probably answer in an entire book which maybe you'll actually write one day but what insight can you provide about the nature of the songwriting and production partnership
0: well um you know we just get together at either his his apartment or my apartment or when we're in california we have rented houses but uh and I'd, you know, be at the piano and, you know, I'd have some ideas or he'd have some ideas and he would have a bass, a guitar or something and, uh, we'd just kick it around and whatever was the, whatever was the funniest thing we could think of that we, we started working on that, you know, <laughs> whatever seemed really like, uh,
1: both musically and lyrically, kind of.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we wanted the music to be good, so that it wasn't just a pastiche or something like, or a uh, you know, a straight parody. We 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 had, you know, because we we're jazz fans, we had certain standards. But um, you know, it had to be, it had to sort of, you know, pass for straight, even though we knew it wasn't. You know, it was like, because uh, I I don't like, you know, I didn't I didn't we didn't want the humor to be broad. You know, we wanted it to be a nuanced. So, you're listening to
1: Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm in the studio with Donald Fagan. I'm Brian Hyatt, and we'll be right back. So Don, we were talking a little bit about how the partnership on a songwriting and production level worked with Walter And you, you said whatever made you laugh the most is kind of what you went with in your book When you described your first songwriting sessions together mm-hmm. You said you basically end up rolling on the floor just cracking each other up.
0: That's true. I I guess, you know uh, you know, we were kids, you know, and it was, it was just Problem is we couldn't really take it that seriously. I suppose, you know, we like you know we admired uh we, we were big fans of the birds i remember and uh, hmm. uh frank zappa and um couldn't take anything seriously apparently (laughs) but um and uh you know we loved motown and soul soul music and blues and so on but when we'd start writing it would just get out of hand you know and and uh yeah walter i think used to get more out of hand than i did and i'd have to sort of bring him back a little bit so it wouldn't be too uh you know ridiculous
1: at the same time i think you said that your ideas tended to be on a lyrical level more on a fantasy level and that he would come more from observation of life.
0: Um, I think that's fair. Um, you know, I, I read a lot of science fiction when I was a kid. He did too. But um, I was sort of, uh, I liked the kind of science fiction that commented on the present uh, by kind of extrapolating from the present and and, you know, creating a future that would kind of bring out Certain things about the present, that in a funny way. And Walter was, um, I think he had greater powers of observation, like he was, uh, you know, uh, observing people, psychology. Um, he, was, he was really, uh, you know, he could have, I think if he wanted to, he could have been a novelist or short story writer if he had the patience
1: you've written great non-fiction you don't think that you you could have done the same if you'd had the patience
0: no i, I can't write fiction i've, I've actually given it a, a try once in a while it's just not my it always has to be grounded in some real real thing i'm like you know i can write essays but not not fiction
1: you guys had a lot of similarities you also had uh you know major differences in in your sort of background so walter you know had a as you said, rough childhood, you know, his dad died when he was 16, his mom was out of the picture, it was it was not smooth sailing, uh, whereas you grew up bored eventually when you moved to a part in New Jersey you hated, but with a stable family. Yeah, and my
0: family was, was uh, relatively stable, yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, how did those differences... Lay themselves out in in your estimation.
0: Well, you know, I think I got to see you know at, at close range, you know, what can happen. I think to somebody if if you know the parenting isn't really there, and um, you know he uh, you know gave him a lot of problems. He was I think he was very insecure. He uh, you know um, as time went on, he uh, had had some uh, you know drug problems, and I think he you know uh, people who are uh, Either have abusive parents or parents who give mixed messages, whatever, or aren't there. It's it is more difficult in a way because they, uh, unless someone else comes in to take their place, you know they. I think their uh, their center is wavy, mm. you know, their their core, and it's it's uh, and I think it's it's very painful uh, on some level that you know perhaps I don't even understand, and uh, so there I think that's that's why a lot of uh, I think people. In that situation, end up you know trying to medicate themselves or uh, have you know various other problems. You've written of your own issues
1: with anxiety and such, but mm-hmm. this this forced you, I guess, to be the the saner member of the partnership.
0: For the most part, you know, we we supported each other, I think, uh, and uh, you know, it's like you know, I went through my own stuff too sometimes, and he was he was great, but um, you know, he uh, he certainly had his share of problems.
1: What's incredible is it's now. And sad of of course, as well, but it it's now a body of work what you guys did together you there's a beginning and an end at least a, on a recorded level, you know, and it doesn't just encompass uh the Still a down records, there's soul records that you guys actually worked on together in, mm-hmm. in some form. I mean, are you satisfied with what came from the partnership did you did you eke out well, first enough of from all, a, yeah,
0: you mentioned body of work. I yeah. remember when we uh you know uh won uh, uh album of the year at the Grammys, um, yeah. I remember Walter said something, we weren't, we weren't being applauded for our body of work, but rather for our bodies that work, <laughs> which were, you know, we were getting on at that time.
1: Is it too soon for you to, to be able to look back and, and, and say, well, you know, we
0: did this much together, you know? Yeah, I think we did pretty well, you know, I think, uh, you know, I'm not really that interested in stuff that I've done, I'm always sort of, uh, I'm, I'm uh, always working on something, you know, uh, not always with uh, great success but I'm, I'm always more interested in what I'm doing presently than uh, than the old stuff and you know other people have to judge it if it you know was any good
1: do any regrets that, that you didn't get another stilly down record out together
0: yeah kind of you know Walter um, he um, I think you know uh, yeah he had some health problems and and uh, especially after maybe 2000. 11 12 he i felt that you know he i think just being ill for so long he he, he had a little bit of a personality change and mm-hmm. he was he was uh much more isolated i think and uh so on and he kind of uh he wasn't that interested in 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 working on steely dan records anymore and it, it also might have to do with what you were speaking of i think he you know the uh specter of of doing an album that would you know Beyond on the same standard that, that we did previously. I mean, uh, but you know, maybe that scared him a little bit, right? Maybe he didn't feel he had the energy.
1: Yeah. And it's right. I mean, and that's something, you know, when, when you talk to people who've done amazing things already, that does loom like, you you know, you're going to be judged by that standard and that, that can be, you know, Yeah,
0: it didn't really bother me that much, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think he, he had a thing about it and, um, yeah, it's true. Like, cause I, I did ask him uh, once in a while if he wanted to do something and he'd he'd usually say yeah sure but then you know he, he wouldn't call me or you know whatever so he, he it's obviously he'd, he'd lost some of the enthusiasm
1: obviously there was a period when you guys fell out of touch before the reunion in the 90s you guys got back together actually way before of course uh, before the comeback album and then what people don't really have a sense of, and, you know, it's 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 your business to a certain extent, but, you know, the sort of ebb and flow of, of the relationship in the 2000s, besides that little bit of distancing in the, in this decade, was was it an ebb and flow, or were you guys pretty
0: close, or how did it all kind of work? Um, well, you know, I think uh, after we got back together uh, in, I guess, in the early 90s, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we both had families at that point, and like a lot of other groups. You know, you don't see each other as much. You have, you know, uh, responsibilities and so on, or children or whatever. So, uh, you know, it was it wasn't like when we were kids. But you know, we were we were always friends and. Um, you know, uh, except for maybe the last couple of years, when he, I think he, because of his health, he, he was more isolated. We were always like, uh, every time we we'd talk, we'd we'd still be laughing, and so and it was it was always fun.
1: A friend of his uh, told one of my colleagues that he that Walter was like actually drinking again in the in the two thousands.
0: Um, I said he wasn't a big drinker, as far as I know. I remember seeing him having you know some wine once in a while, but that, that wasn't wasn't an issue. It wasn't a big thing, as I remember. He was more into opiates.
1: On a continuing basis?
0: No, uh, intermittently. Not to
1: ever compare you to Mick and Keith. You know, I know that, that Mick was... It's a hard comparison to draw, but I know that Mick sometimes... You know, people love Keith and, and, and worship his sort of, you know, um, pushing it to the edge lifestyle, but it can be very frustrating to be Mick and have to deal with Keith. I don't know if it was and vice ever- Vice versa, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good point. Yes. Were you ever sort of Mick in that scenario where you're trying to keep it together? And
0: You know, I remember sort of these brief periods um, in when we were touring in the early 70s, Uh, I think, you know, he hated touring then and he, you know, he he became a little hard to deal with then. And I remember having a talk about it and then he was cool, you know, for years afterwards. And then, uh, you know, there were a few other periods where, where I felt I should talk to him. Things did
1: fray during, during Gaucho and not just because of the, the sort of perfectionism or however you would phrase it.
0: Yeah. He was, he was in a really bad, bad situation in the, uh, the end of the seventies. That's true.
1: What were the musical differences if any between your sort of tastes and what what sort of sounds or approaches or whatever was more him or more you if that can be teased out at all
0: it's hard to say i think maybe if if someone listens to his solo records which i which i love uh and my solo records it's i think that's probably the best way to tell although we were very very much of one mind for the most part i think uh generally speaking like um you know when i first met him he was and you know i just heard the songs he had written when he was 17 18 they were maybe folkier he had weird chords but but a lot of it was guitar based i would say more um yeah kind of you know new york folky and uh i think i was already starting to put more like jazz harmony into it um and you know so on but it didn't seem to be a problem we just you know used a little of his stuff and a little of my stuff and we just kind of the songs just grew like uh (laughs) excrescences you know
1: (laughs) (laughs) the use of uh you know fantastic and sometimes incongruous, theoretically, jazz chords in in rock and roll.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One time, you guys cited uh, Lauren Nero as an influence on that. Is that yeah?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I remember Walter it, at school. He had a uh, was sharing a dorm, a very large dorm room with the roommate, and he had these huge Altec uh, speakers, um, studio monitors. These used studio monitors he had bought on the floor, and uh, I remember once he said, "Hey, you got to hear this," and we went up, and he had a uh, Laura Nero record um and uh I was the one that had like uh it had uh, I remember had a song Chambers Walls of Heartache Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) and uh we were amazed by that record because it used a lot of uh, uh stuff from modern music like uh you know Hindemith and Bartok you know type of chords with uh triads with uh you know the wrong bass note and stuff like that plus she she had a way of of uh of mixing mixing it in with blues and Motown type stuff that was fantastic, and uh, I think that uh, we started to become like sort of more experimental uh, after hearing that and a few other few other th- things. Without doing a, a music theory
1: lesson for our listeners, there there's a a, a chord that you guys uh, named the the Mu major. If if people heard it, they would recognize it. Do you remember how that? Became such a, a signature for you guys, or where you possibly stole it from?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's we didn't certainly didn't invent. No, that. It's like, it goes back <clears> to the <throat> 13th century I or know, whatever. It probably yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's you know certain pops like Stephen Sondheim you know, uses that chord all the time. Yeah, it was just uh, you know I, I was just I think part of my my piano style. If I'm harmonizing something, I'll just naturally go to that 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 kind of harmony, that kind of chord, and uh, I remember our our guitar player in the in the seventies, Denny Diaz. Um, he wasn't used to playing that on the guitar, so we, uh, you know, Walter found all the voicings that you could play on the guitar of that one thing. Some some of them apparently were impossible to play unless you had seven fingers or something. <laughs> and we we wrote a little sort of treatise on the chord, which we called the Moo major chord, and a. Basically, to try to prank guitar players who thought that you know maybe they were missing something.
1: (laughs) There's been people yeah breaking their fingers
0: trying to play these chords. I know it was a terrible thing to do. You know we were, (laughs) we were
1: kids. It's the keyboardist revenge on guitar players. Yeah, Walter was uh, you know a fantastic bass player, a Mm -hmm. a killerly guitarist among other things. But he wasn't always excited about playing you know on records or you know even sometimes live. What, what was that about? You know, one of your engineers, uh, Elias Shiner, was, said he was always confused why he didn't play more.
0: Yeah, I was too. It's uh, I think, it, again, it, was, it goes back to a certain kind of insecurity. Um, he, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, he was a great player, but, uh, you know, for some reason he, he was just, uh, didn't have uh, confidence. As as time went on, he, he uh, became more confident about his playing, but, uh, you know, I'd certainly always encourage him because I loved his touch and his his ideas were you know amazing
1: your keyboard player playing though has always been kind of close to the center and it's often simple parts for all the complexity it's it's often you're kind of just playing the chords essentially Mm -hmm. you you know there's no particular interest in
0: showing off on your part no I mean uh, you know I, I I do have I think certain limitations to to my playing but um uh, yeah, it's it's. I think just my role is more of a, as a rhythm player. Um, you know, uh, sometimes in uh, live I'll you know uh, give myself a solo once in a while or something like that. But on records, um, you know, I don't know. This you know, rock and roll, it's it's kind of uh, underwhelming sometimes to hear a piano, <laughs> piano solo, at least in the style I play, which is kind of single note, right hand boppy style you know it's it's like it's it sounds a little weak sometimes with with the the other instrumentation you know so i, I guess i just haven't sometimes i i've done some things on synth- synthesizer that uh yeah i think fit in better
1: you once thought about applying supposedly to uh, being bob dylan's touring band or auditioning wouldn't that have been dull for you given the kind of chords and and
0: simplicity of of his music uh no because um I think if you listen to the way for instance Richard Manuel uh mm. plays Bob Dylan songs they're they're not boring at all they're, he he has a lot of gospel uh flourishes and uh what you call added note harmony like the moo major right right something like that so he he I I think you know if I did it it would be more along those lines maybe more even uh you know, with a little, little more uh, jazz stuff in it, and I think it would work. Um, so yeah, you still I, want the gig, maybe? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like uh, he seems to; have, he's got his voice back. Sounds like to me a little bit.
1: I, I'm hearing that too. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's maybe not happen. Well, he's got, he's got a voice back. A, <laughs> some, yeah, he's got
0: one of his voices back. Right? <laughs> yeah. how,
1: you were always, you always seem dubious about your own singing. Is mm-hmm. that? Have you ever grown to a level of comfort with with your voice?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, you know I've had some uh, coaching along the way, and huh. uh, it's much easier to sing now than when I didn't know how to sing at all. Is there a voice you wish you had? <laughs> well, uh, Ray Charles, <laughs> maybe. Or, you know, I I I just consider myself a great singer for sure, and I but I I do the best I can. I think the thing that gets me by is, is for the kind of stuff we write, I have the right attitude. Attitude, yeah. And that's uh, you know just as important, I think, in uh, rhythm and blues and
1: rock music. I've somehow found a thing uh, where where I go to YouTube and I watch people attempt to cover Steely Dan songs. Yeah, that's
0: uh, usually a pretty sad experience. <laughs> a lot of people attempt Josie, uh, mm. which which is interesting. Well, I, I call it the Bill Murray effect. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because you know, it's when he he on um, SNL and used to yeah. do lounge versions of Star Wars things like that. <laughs> that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs>
1: we were talking about you know what steely dan is and now you're you you know you're gonna you already have played shows without walter mm-hmm. so is that in your mind is that still steely dan or is it you fronting the steely dan band who used to be steely dan i mean you know what i mean how do, how do you see that as what the thing is without him
0: yeah well i i mean you know uh I would pre- actually prefer to call it, you know, Donald Fagan and Steely Dan Band or something like that. We got a lot of flack from uh, from uh, Live Nation, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, <laughs> about calling it Steely Dan, and um, you know I th- that's an ongoing uh, debate.
1: Wait, in other words, they want you to call it Steely Dan for commercial reasons, or, or you mean, they do want you. Yeah. Yeah, right right right, 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 right. It just sells better, yeah. There's suits, you know
0: it feels more like
1: the other thing you said to you
0: and to me it does because to me Steely Dan was just me and Walter really it was like a concept that we had together and um but uh you know it doesn't it's it's no big thing to me either way frankly but uh I I think uh in in my mind it's Steely Dan was me and Walter so so uh you know um you know, I'm hoping I could persuade these people to let me do what I want as far as that goes did you
1: get to have the, the, the final conversation or conversations with him that you would have wanted to have
0: well that's a uh, <laughs> it's kind of you know I you know I heard when I heard he was really ill I was on the road in I think Salinas Kansas and I flew back I had a day off and he was in his apartment in New York, and um, I was really glad that I went. You know, it was like um, I could see he was really struggling. Um, but you know, it's it's like he like when I when I, I put a chair next to the bed, and he like grabbed my hand, and it was like <laughs> something he would has never done ever before. Wow. And um, we had a great talk and you know he was listening to hard bop mm. uh his wife had on a like a, on a dexter gordon record or something like that and um he was still very funny uh even though he was very weak and I'm, I'm you know really glad i had those hours you know it was important i think to do that you know
1: you had to go out and play of all things stadium gigs at a big festival while this was going on without him
0: yeah it was very weird you know, not having them there. Um, and, uh, you know, we got through it. And then we had these these gigs booked in October uh, after that. So, uh, you know, I did it. And after a while, it, it didn't seem as strange, you know, after a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, it'll always feel a little weird, you know. I mean, it's, it's always going to feel that way. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I can handle it, you know. And how long
1: do you doesn't seem like retirement or anything like it is uh, is in the offing how how long do you want to be a touring musician and and keep Mm -hmm. got the night flyers steely damn band so there's
0: possibly Mm -hmm. recording there's a lot yeah for sure yeah yeah no i feel good you know i'm gonna be 70 in january but uh i'm feeling really good um you know i try to you know doing enough <laughs> exercise to keep myself from falling apart. You know, mm. What do you do? What's your uh... I go swimming a couple times yeah. a week and then you know, sometimes floor exercises and things like that. But, uh Have you stayed up like Sorry. one of those I don't I don't try to get ripped or anything <laughs> That's <laughs> that's never been that's never going to happen. You know uh but uh you know I try to keep myself going. Do you want to keep touring like just Pretty much as long as you physically can. Yeah, you know, it it keeps you young, for sure, touring. I I notice, like, when I'm off, I don't feel as good as when I'm on. You know, if I'm, uh, I gotta be either recording or uh, touring or, and i especially enjoying live performance more than I used to, because we have a fantastic band. I got a couple of fantastic bands, and uh, it's just so much fun to uh, to be with these guys and, and to play, you know? And
1: finally, you know, there are... Uh, if anyone who's read your tour diary of with the uh, Duke's <laughs> September yeah. would would get a, a pretty um, jaundiced view of the current state of society, among yeah. other things. Yeah, it really and, it wasn't we, about the tour. Uh, yeah. It was really about <laughs>
0: just traveling through the world as it is yeah. in a certain
1: way. And, and I think everyone uh, who wasn't already feeling the same way as you is after this year, pretty much, <laughs> any thinking yeah. human. But is there anything that you see on the cultural or political or whatever horizon that that gives you hope? Uh,
0: Well, you know, actually, uh, this Alabama thing that happened, uh, I think, uh, you know, it was a a small thing, I think, but it was, um, there was something hopeful about uh, the fact that uh, in Alabama, they, uh, at least they don't, uh, they're not uh, so jaded and jaundiced that they would actually, like, uh, elect a, uh, you know, a, uh, big douche like that guy, you know, to the Senate. I mean, really? Give me a fucking break, man. (laughs) You know, it's got to stop somewhere, you know? (laughs) Well, so this
1: has been Rolling Stone Music Now. We've been lucky enough to have Donald Fagan in the studio. Thank you so much. Thank you. For being here and and for all the years of music to be sappy for a moment. And uh, we will be back next week at 1 p.m. here on volume sirius xm 106 in the meantime download us as a podcast subscribe to us as a podcast and leave us a nice review if you can come on we have donald fagan on come on yeah baby <laughs> and we'll see you next week thanks again donald thanks.